Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Well, three years ago, Stu Tucker, who's Chief Customer Officer at High Pages, was the first Australian marketer I'm aware of to publicly challenge the mighty Google and the reliance, the heavy reliance indeed, on paid search of its consumer and trading marketplace. Three million people have been on High Pages since it launched to hire a tradie and fix a job. Indeed, Stu said on his podcast back in April 2020, believe it or not, that High Pages had been too hooked on the drug of paid search to acquire customers and custom. In the marketing business, it's called lower funnel or performance marketing. Few marketers dared publicly to say such things about paid search. Many did privately to me and beyond. But by April 2020, Stu had diverted funds to invest in a brand building program, starting first with a sponsorship on the Block TV series on Nine. Until then, High Pages as a business and a brand was not known well enough uh, among consumers and therefore was not high on their consideration set when looking for a sparky, a chippy or the most expensive of all trades, the plumber. I would like to work that one out. So they went to search instead of going direct to High Pages. Stu and his marketing team, including Marketing Vice President Nick Ellery, who's on the mics with Stu today, rolled the dice on a radically different revenue and customer growth strategy than High Pages was used to and it worked, back then at least. Three years on, however, what has happened? Is High Pages spending large on search still? And as we head into this year with economic uncertainty on the rise, is High Pages continuing with brand building investment? We might even get to what these gents have learnt about growing a marketplace versus their previous careers in banking and finance. In Stu's case, in electronics and consumer goods in Nick's. So enough from me, let's get to it. Welcome, Stu Tucker and Nick Ellery. I'm looking forward to this one. Stu, to you first, and, and welcome back on the mic. You've been here a few times. You triggered a lot of interest and conversation in the industry with that big move out of search um, three years ago. Is that strategy still holding, Stu? And if it is, what evidence have you got now that shows it had a material impact on the business? And welcome back. Thanks, Paul. It's great to be here. You know, MI3's our number one... Uh marketing destination, that's for sure. Oh, you can keep talking. I know, I know. Don't you love it? Well done. Easy questions coming. You know, it didn't really seem like it was that controversial at the time because this brand had been around for 14 years and our brand awareness at the time was 27%. So if no one's heard of you, then no one is affiliated with your brand and people won't buy from you. Hence our need to invest heavily in paid search to almost buy customers. The good news is that we've continued to invest heavily in brand. We're now investing on both sides of the trading marketplace, which Nick will talk to a little bit later. Mm. But to put it in perspective, our brand awareness was 27% back in FY18, and our most recent survey saw it at 66%. So that's a pretty meteoric rise. Yeah. And I guess High Pages is no longer a secret. Uh, we were a best kept secret there. And I think a lot of, but I think a lot of marketers talk incorrectly about saying that it's brand versus performance. And for us, it's about getting the right balance. Right. And the good news is that the continued investment in brand has is paying commercial dividends for us. So for example, in FY18, around 46% of our jobs posted on the platform were via paid search. And that statistic is now less than 20%. Right. So you've halved it. Yep. 
Half the percentage anyway. of jobs. Yeah. That's exactly right. And you know, last year we smashed through a barrier of ten million jobs posted on the platforms um, since since inception. So the growth is continued. Investing in brand actually has given us long term commercial benefits, and we're now less reliant on paid search as a mass channel. I just want to uh, time warp for a second. So you were pre prior to your your start at High Pages at the Combank coming in to High Pages. Did you see that straight away that that was something that needed to happen, or was that how long did it take for you to get to that sort of conclusion when you when you joined? It was pretty clear to me that we had a very strong proposition, and we were genuinely disrupting the trade sector on both sides of the marketplace. But it was an eye opener to me that our brand awareness metrics and our key brand health metrics, right through the funnel from awareness to consideration to usage and preference were a lot lower than they should have been. So it was it was obvious to me that we needed to invest in that. And it didn't take a lot of persuading within the business because, you know, our, our marketplace was out of balance and, and we, we took a risk and it's paying off. Yeah. So it sounds like your, you know, your brand investment clearly worked and, but you would, it's an and scenario with performance and brand. What about this talk, though, of the halo, the lasting effect of brand? So hypothetical, if you stopped uh, spending on brand, how long would it last? What are you seeing in that? Is there a a view you have on that and how long that tail is for brand investment? Compared to a lot of other major brands in this country and brands that Nick and I have worked for, we have very small budgets. So we have to be investing really tightly. And now the challenge for us is to flip our brand investment from the consumer side to the trading side and back again, depending where the marketplace is in balance or not. Mm. And so if we didn't have the halo effect of long-term brand investment, it wouldn't work because we don't have enough money to be in market every week, right? So but by virtue of that alone, we are seeing a halo effect because we just don't have the tens of millions of dollars that many of our marketing colleagues in this industry have to invest in ongoing above-the-line activity. Right. Uh, Nick, can I ask then what I was going to ask Stu, which is uh, this investment or this strategy around and the mix around brand and paid search, what are you doing with it now? Is it, and you came in around about the same time as, as Stu or just a little bit after? Is that, is that right? So you're party to this whole strategy, right? Or pretty early. Yeah, look, I think it's fair to say that Stu sort of laid the groundwork and then I came in a little bit after Stu joined the organisation more for the uh, execution phase. I think that's fair to say, Stu. No, you've been, uh, you've been much more heavily involved <laughs> than that, mate. Come on. Um, <laughs> And look, I, I think um, 100%, like it, it's it's something that we will continue to double down on in the future. Like it's it's been quite transformative for the business. I think particularly when you look at tech businesses, most of them are a bit obsessed with, you know, social acquisition from a paid perspective, paid search. And I think, you know, Hypages is a really great example of a, of a tech business that's sort of done things a bit differently. And we've shown, I think we've got a pretty good model that, that could be replicable for quite a number of other businesses. Well, it's interesting businesses. you talk about that because even the, you know, if you think about the growth hacking playbook that uh, I've sort of been skirting around for a little bit, sort of it, it all talks about all the things that a tech startup will do, which is social, paid, fast customer acquisition, but not a lot of focus on brand. Startups now, the tech startups and funding VCs are all wanting them to growth faster, but also build brands. So you've seen a lot more startups in, in brand building executions than you might have in the past. But getting to where you're at now, Nick, in terms of where that mix of paid, you're still using paid, right? It's still important. Yep. As you said, it's what, 20% of your, your customer jobs in a, in a month. Did I hear that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Look, I, I think it's really interesting. The the role, as Stu's mentioned, of paid search previously was a volume driver. It's bringing in most of our customers. And when you look at our business, we weren't getting a great 
number of repeats out of those users. And the reason is we've got a fantastic product, which is really frictionless. And if you post a job on high pages and you need a tradie, within five minutes, your phone will be ringing. Right. There's not a lot of faffing about on the platform. And so when you've got someone who's not familiar with the proposition coming in via paid search, typing in some details really quickly, and then the, the transactions have been taken offline and, and talking on the phone with a tradie, it's not a memorable experience. So the product itself was not, was not building our brand. Fast forward to, to now, there's a, a much larger number of people that understand the proposition of high pages because we've built those, we've built that brand and we've sort of built those memory structures. So now when someone posts a job on high pages and they've come via a, a direct channel, we'll not only get a pretty good, for want of a better word, cost per acquisition comparable to paid search, but we know that certainly from a consumer perspective, they will be a, a customer that's more likely to repeat over time. Right. Now, so that's the, the, the homeowner side of the marketplace. Mm. On the tradie side of the marketplace, those tradies that come to us and say, hey, I want, I want to grow my business, let's have a conversation, high pages, the tradies that come directly to us rather than via the performance channels, they're going to convert at a much higher rate when they get to the sales, sales mm. conversations. Mm. So we see that we can drive volume, but also the quality of those customers from the brand building activity is actually significantly improved versus performance. Mm. So what that means for performance is still plays a, a very important role for our marketing on the one side, if, you know, we need to top up jobs somewhere, you know, we, we look at the tradies in Sydney and, or the electricians in Sydney and we go, gee, they're starving for more jobs. We'll use paid search to try and top up the jobs in that area. And if we're looking and we say, gee, plumbers in Melbourne, they're, they're pretty flush with jobs right now. They don't need that extra, that, that, that extra work. Then we might actually pull back a little bit of that, that paid search. So we use it in a very targeted way, in a very sort of strategic way to balance the marketplace rather than just like driving mass volume of of jobs. Well, it's a much more commercial application of paid search rather than just being mass. Yes. You know, we can, we can use it to, as Nick says, balance the marketplace or fill in our, our gaps. And, you know, one, one great stat is that in the first quarter of this year, 71% of our jobs came from repeat users. And that's a big, that's a big deal for a company like us. Mm. Which shows, you know, all the things that Nick just talked about. I think we might jump ahead because there's some good context here when we talk about this two-sided marketplace, right? So, You've both sort of mentioned it. Stu, so you talk about getting balance in the, on both sides of the marketplace. The VCs talk about liquidity and, and, and so forth. Just give us the scenario of, of what the challenge is at high pages for a marketer and revenue generation, customer acquisition versus some of the, you know, a banking, a bank or a consumer electronics. What are we talking about when you say two-sided and liquidity and balanced? Okay, so as a two-sided marketplace, we have two audiences, right? So on the... Demand side, we have homeowners that are looking to get work done in their home, whether it's repairs, maintenance, small jobs, emergency jobs, large jobs. They post a job. And then on the supply side, we have tradies that are going to match the technology, matches them with those customers. The liquidity occurs when that match happens successfully. And a homeowner, as Nick said, can often be matched with three tradies within a space of minutes. They then um, can get quotes from that tradie and then arrange to get that that work completed. So for marketing in a marketplace, we have to be agile. We have to be able to be constantly looking at the lead metrics of marketplace engagement and that moment of truth or what we describe as the aha moment when a consumer matches successfully in real time with three or sometimes more tradies. So instead of just sitting back and waiting, we've got to be looking at those triggers and the signals. And as Nick said, we need plumbers in Western Melbourne, or we need more plumbing jobs in Western Sydney, and we've got to be able to pull those levers. 
Do you that's follow, really important. We're following the and market. driving demand at the same time. Always. On flip sides. Yep. Yeah, and that's yep. so on both sides. That's the that's the trick, isn't it? You've got to have an, enough people. Consumers are wanting jobs for the tradies and enough tradies fulfil. That's your challenge. Have I got that right? That's exactly, exactly right. right. And right. that's that's the new role of performance is to manage that balance. It's yes. not to drive the bulk of transactions. It's to be much more targeted and balance the market. Right. And so in terms of your search strategies now, then exactly what you're saying, it's, it's almost geolocation based on, on demand and supply. Like in the current market, how fluid is that? What's changing by suburb, by region? What are you seeing? It's a continual thing. Like it's, it's not once a month we dip into the search accounts and we, we change some stuff. We have um, actually really, really good data that we can dip into, anyone in the organization can dip into and sort of go, okay, particularly our paid search guys, their, their day-to-day, day-to-day job is, is basically to monitor what's happening in terms of uh, the marketplace liquidity and to, to sort of decide, okay, I do need more electricians in Liverpool, so I'm going to upweight my bids for electricians in Liverpool and at the same time pull back on Sam in for example, you know, plumbers in, in West Melbourne. So that, it's, it's an always-on, continual optimization type thing. And this and, is all internal, right? You've got an in-house play on this. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, that's that's the beauty is uh, it's all run in-house. You know, Nick's got, it's no more than two or three FTE that are running millions and millions of search terms right across the country, across every postcode and, and every tradie category that you could ever imagine, which runs into the millions of search terms, right, Nick? Yep. And I, I think the really interesting thing is if you think about, you know, we've had a lot of rain over the last few years. Mm. If there's a big downpour, we'll see a massive spike in roofing jobs. Right. So they'll be jumping in there going, well, we've got heaps of roofing jobs. Let's pull back, back a little bit on roofing, roofing jobs. Um, right, comes, right. In, comes into Christmas, we see that there's, you know, tradies are going off on leave a, a bit sooner. It's been a big year. Tradies are kind of tired, so they, they're, they're going they're on leave. I already. <laughs> then we back it off. Then, you know, then, then we, we, back we it literally off. back right. it off. But we couldn't. Nick's team could not do that unless we had really good quality real-time data. Mm. Now, this is the other thing about digital marketplaces or online marketplaces is we're not relying on third parties. We don't, we don't have multiple distribution channels. It's all on our platform. Mm. So we, we use a, a BI tool called Looker that the team can literally be in real-time seeing the impact of these campaigns. Data is democratized. Every member of Nick's team can access Looker reports to see the impact of their campaigns and make adjustments in real time. And they're not coming to Nick or I for permission, but is doing it. Mm. This is the new marketer and this is the nuance of a marketplace business, right? Bit of freedom to act and move as they see, right? And there's a, lot, there's a bit of trust play goes on there though. You've got to really be comfortable with your team. 100%. I think it's about, it, it is about trust. You're 100% right in set, setting clear expectations. And look, I, I do think the other thing that I would add is the data democracy, as to Stu's point, is part of being a new, a new marketer. And I think the ability for anyone in the organization to get some training and to have the tools to dig into a business problem is actually critical for our success. And it's going to be increasingly critical for the success of, of most marketers. So in terms of that capability you're looking for, that new breed of marketing, what percentage that you come across have that already or do you have to build it? That's a good question. <laughs> I think the candidates that are more skilled in that area come to us in the first place. So you get a higher ratio maybe, but at a market level, you're not going to go there, are you? It's not, I would say I think it's, it's a pretty gap. low. I think it's a gap for a lot of marketers. Yeah. We see candidates come across our desk these days. They are incredible. And they are data savvy digital marketers at the heart. And they're the ones that gravitate towards a business like ours. 
But at the same time, you see a lot of performance and digital marketers who are right down at the lower end of the funnel that think that the answer is paid search, what's the question or whatever it might be. Do those digital marketers an appreciation of strategy and brand, which is equally important. I mean, we just we just finished talking about how brand changed the dynamics for your your lower funnel play um, strategy. Do those digital marketers ever have an appreciation for brand and strategy in that bigger bigger picture piece? I think they do, but I think Nick, it's fair to say we're actually now looking for skill sets and expertise in the middle funnel. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yep. Describe the mid funnel for me. Okay. Yeah. So look, I think. Just before we jump onto that, look, I do think certainly at High Pages, our paid search team very much have an appreciation for brand because they've seen it. They've yes. seen the numbers because they can look at the numbers themselves and we, we look well, at the numbers. Well, to listen to Stu for the last three years. It's got a, some <laughs> <of those laughs> things, isn't it? Boring, isn't it? But look, I, I think more to the point, like some level of intellectual curiosity is actually the most important thing. And if they've got that intellectual curiosity, then they'll pick up you know, our looker and they'll, they'll learn our data and, and they'll learn how to pull the reports. And, and it's actually just a bit of critical thinking and, mm. and, and curiosity. And I think underlying the, the data savviness is there has to be that, that, that yeah, curiosity. Yeah, good point, right. So it, given that, like if, if we, we sort of established that like, hey, we've, we've actually built our brand and we've done a lot of that brand building through, you know, ATL and, and we, we spend on, on TV and things like that, that, you know, broadcast mediums, we've done a pretty good job of, rationalizing our performance, like the, the lower funnel, for want of a better analogy, to be really focused on incrementality and delivering value to our customers. The missing piece moving forward for us is the, the mid-funnel, which is, it's actually all around content. I was about to say, yeah. content is where you're probably... Yeah. 100%, 100%. For, for both sides of the marketplace, I think definitely for tradies, we are doing, we're doing the groundwork now to have a really strong content play for tradie acquisition and tradie retention moving forward. And we've, we've hired, you know, a senior inbound marketing manager. We're going through a process now of identifying which inbound marketing platform we want to we roll out to, to support her. Um, we've also got a, a senior content marketing manager. She's working on the content strategy. So certainly from a B2B or a tradie perspective, we know that there's an opportunity and definitely capability we need to build around. You call it inbound marketing. You can call it mid-funnel yeah. marketing. Like you can call and it's it priming. It's nurture. priming between the big, the top top of the funnel and getting the conversion. Right, that's the bit in the middle where you what you're talking about. Exactly right. You generate the content or commission it or create it. Then what happens to it? What do you envisage the distribution of that content at the mid-funnel to to do it? Where does it sit? Tradies, like they're on social a lot. In fact, they're online a lot, and that's the best way to reach tradies. We, with the exception of radio, like tradies are driving around and they're on site. They listen to the radio a lot. They do listen a lot to, to podcasts as well. Probably even a few listening right now. So sign up to iPages yeah. if you are a tradie. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're a plumber, can I talk to you, please? <laughs> Mate, trades. But but look, they're they're definitely um, online a lot, and so I think it's almost like the way that we think it's going to play out. And again, it's it's early days, mm. and and I think. I'd be lying if I said I knew exactly how it's going to play out, but it's almost like organic social or paid social is the hook and then try and find a number of ways to be in their feeds, whether it's push notifications, text, emails, back in their social feed, just be in the, the feeds and be there, build that credibility, add a bit of value. It's not just a straight advertising play, mm. it's actually add a bit of value for the customer. So you've got a bit of a relationship even before they get to that point where they go, mm. gee, the next few weeks are looking a bit tough. I need some extra work to fill, to fill the calendar. Got it. Look, it's really interesting, and I think there's another thing in here which probably puts more pressure on your team to deliver is because now you've moved your tradies to a subscription service, so they are kind of, they're paying in advance for something that you've still got to deliver. That's probably uh, a change in, in speed. For, when did that happen, and has it had any, any change? Are you feeling the pressure, Stu? No, no, not at all. I mean, subscription is a, is a big part of 
SaaS businesses, and that's the way we look at ourselves today. In the past, we used to have a range of different products that our traders could come onto, whether it was like a pay-per-lead or a subscription, but we made a big decision a couple of years ago to move to a 100% subscription model. And what that, that does for us is it gives us a revenue assurance, right? So that means that, as you said, we can invest on the other side of the marketplace with confidence to make sure that we are balancing the supply and demand. And I guess if a tradie comes onto us initially on a six-month uh, commitment and then on to 12 as they renew, we're almost making a commitment to them. Our contract to them is we're going to supply them with enough work, mm. right? So how do we create that liquidity so the tradie who's on the job and as Nick says, needs to fill his pipeline in the next few weeks, he's going to get the right work in the right channels at the right time that he or she can can claim and then you know set up a relationship and build their business with with new customers. And I guess in the last couple of years, sort of it hasn't been a problem, tradies looking for work. So what happened to your business? Because you probably had lots of tradies, sorry, you had a lot of people wanting work, looking for, for tradies, but not a lot of them around. That must have been an interesting one. We probably shouldn't go down that rabbit hole too much. I'm just interested in that in that bigger picture there of, of that. Oh, look, I mean, there's in, in sort of spring, in 20 and 21, you know, and even into 22, we saw huge booms in home improvement as people were at home and they need to secure and make their home more comfortable and they weren't traveling and they had money in their pockets. There's no doubt about that. And our marketplace probably got a little bit out of balance. I think things are starting to turn. And, you know, if you think about our our key audience of homeowners, you know, they're the segment that's the most impacted by the interest rate rises. And there's evidence in our category that they're tightening their belts. On the tradie side, who have been flushed with work for the last couple of years, you know, we believe that their pipeline is starting to slow and we've seen very, very, very strong um, results and level of inquiry from new and returning tradies in the last quarter uh, wanting to come and and sign up for the High Pages platform. Right. So the market, this is this is this tension of the marketplace yeah. businesses, right? It's been out of balance and now it's swinging back the other way. Yeah. So that puts more pressure on on Nick's team to find more work to fill up these tradies. So Which it's, in, it's in constant Nick. flux. Yeah, and I was going to say, so you got to... You've got tradies coming in at the moment hungry for some work and possibly demand coming on on the consumer side. So what do you, you then have got to ramp up your consumer marketing, whether it's in tactical or in, well, it's not going to be brand that drives that. It's going to be more tactical stuff to get people in. What do you do on that to get demand for the tradies that you've committed to? It's actually a combination of both. I, th I think there's no plan to stop building our brand with consumers and homeowners. Mm. Um, and I think the position that we're in now is actually a really strong position because we have been through a period in COVID where, as you mentioned, there was a boom in jobs, so tradies needed us less. But we focused on conversion and we focused on building that brand. So when the market turns, we're top of mind for tradies and the tradies are, are coming to us. Like they're, they're, that, really, so they're really coming to us. So that's proving out. <laughs> it's it's, yep. it's 100% proving out. Right. So I think that's probably where things will, will sort of play out for us too, continue to build that, that consumer brand. And I think that's something we don't want to turn it on and off. We want consistent brand building over time. And then I think we complement that with, we know that in the short term, we can't create extra demand. So let's focus on, you know, converting the existing demand. So that, that is where the, the use of or the mobility of paid search comes in really handy. We have actually reduced performance marketing on the tradie side of the marketplace. And we're moving those funds over to the consumer side of the marketplace just to make sure that we maintain that flow of jobs. I think we also complement that with sort of a, a cross-functional approach to growth, which is really focusing again on, you've got fixed demand in, in a market like we, we think we, we may go into. And so it's really just making sure that we make the most of the existing demand by 
doing things like conversion rate optimization, which often get poo-pooed, but it's been very meaningful. We've been able to drive very meaningful results well, through yeah, conversion no, and, rate and, optimization. Well, that's a, that's a craft in itself, right? And I, I'm genuinely interested in just give me one example of in CRO, conversion rate optimization, where you've tweaked some dials and you've seen, and it's all about, I guess, lots of incremental gains rather than big leaps. But 100%. give us an example of what you've done. Yeah, like, I mean, if you looked at our tradie registration form 18 months ago, it's unrecognizable to, to where mm-hmm. it is now. And when I say registration form, it's it's the place where by the time tradies have been through whatever process they've been through to, to come to us and say, hey, I want to talk to someone about signing up for high pages, that's where they fill in their details. It's completely unrecognizable versus 18 months ago. And because that first block, first step 18 months ago, it could turn them off. They wouldn't necessarily, it's what shopping cart abandonment is, is sort of the parallel there. Is it like if the totally. user experience isn't beautiful or fast and easy? They pull out? Is that yep. what you're talking about? It's everything from the load times for the page to the message that's in the page, the use of the photography, um, how mm-hmm. we position the form, whether the forms are one massive form or two small broken broken down forms. There's oh, gee, it's, it's Cat- category differences from one category to the next. Yeah, right. And, and that iteration of the form happened over 20 tests. Right, I was going right, to say, Nick, wasn't it? Like, like, literally, more. maybe probably more, probably maybe more. Yeah. more. Right. Nick, Nick leads a growth team, which is which is led by a very tech-savvy growth product manager who navigates between the needs of marketing and the tech side of our business, but also bringing in stakeholders like our sales team. Like, what are they hearing when they're speaking to customers? And that, we might think that CRO is kind of boring, but we, we look at it as growth. And if you mm. can make 21% improvements, it's a 20% improvement. And yeah. Again, if we think about the capability of the modern marketer, they've got to be really, really open to experimentation. And we love this team because they just go test, 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 yep. test. And there's always a champion challenger, right, Nick? And, and they're just trying to find better ways. Mm, really fascinating. So in your CRO rates, you've, you're converting a higher number of tradies into the platform, part of it to the form. What's that improved by? What have you improved it? Okay. I haven't added them all up right. <laughs> or, or, the, or the incremental, because right. you're right, it's, it's 100% compound growth. Like it's a percent here, it's a percent there. I would say it's 20%. Yeah, okay. I would say it's a 20% improvement um, without any change in the quality or, or, or the channels that we that we drive those mm. leads. It's a 20% improvement. Yeah. Which right. either means you're going to get 20% better return from your investment or you can cut your cost by 20% and get the same return. Yes, right. right? And that's the way we look at it. And that's an internal, that's the thing is that that is actually a customer experience. Um, funnily enough, you might be chief customer officer, I believe, but something um, like that. The, the CX is real. This is where it gets really, really important. All internal. Mm. It's all internal. And they're just look, they're looking at drop off points between the funnel, totally data empowered. Again, they're not asking for permission to run experiments. I and mean, we we celebrate them failing yeah, because right. that means we can move on, fail fast and fail cheap. Yeah. They can move on to the next test. And genuinely, they they can be running eight to 10 simultaneous tests at any one time when they're really having a go at it. So for a marketing team, I mean, like it gets potentially, even for me from the outside, I don't have to do any of that stuff. Thank goodness I can talk about it. But is it gets really complex because you've got, you know, CRO and experimentation, conversion rate optimization. You've got paid search. You've got above the line brand build, two market side places. Holy, you know, there's a lot, a lot of juggle there. So it does get me to... With all that stuff we've talked about now in the lower funnel, and I don't know what you call CRO, it's not even lower funnel because it's not even where, where it probably would be lower funnel, is it? I don't even where you sit CRO. Where does it sit? Post CRO, uh, upper mid, yeah, upper <laughs> mid, something <laughs> like that, right, right, upper mid, something like that. Um, so anyway, I was going to say, so how then, Nick, do you then, with all of that that you've got, you've got visibility on, and then we start talking about brand for now. So when we're in twenty twenty three. Brand activity, as we mentioned earlier, was uh, about the block and a few other things you've done. What does brand 
what is your brand uh, execution now? What, what are you doing? What channels? What strategies? Is it changed? Are you still mm-hmm. on the block? What happened to the block? Oh, the, the block has been a, a great relationship. It's been a great partnership with us. We're in the process of pulling apart whether we continue with the block. I mean, the the chief consideration there is actually, do we continue to reach the same audience and drive brand salience or do we try and reach new audiences and yep, build right. a brand from scratch with people that we've never spoken to before? With right. a limited budget, we, we sort of can't do both. And that's always the, the, the tension around you know, looking at the block investment. But I think more broadly, look, when we first started to build the brand, I was, I was brand new to High Pages. We sponsored the block and that was it. It was a blip in time and we saw really good short-term and, and longer-term uh, impact from, from the block. But then we went quiet for, for six months on the consumer side. We had nothing on the, on the tradie side. So over the past few years, we've continued to work with the block. And again, it's been a, a great partnership. But we want to build on that. And so the second year of sponsoring the block, we had to make sure that we had a good H2 activation, a good H2 brand campaign to complement the block and keep building that, that sort of brand and, and remain top of mind for Australian homeowners. And then probably over the last 18 months, we've also tried to make some resource available to build the tradie brand, which is different activities, very different activities to building a consumer brand. Uh, and so it's, a, it's an iterative, iterative process where you're like, okay, we've got two audiences that we need to build brand with. The first step is to make sure we're really doing a proper job of building brand year round with that homeowner audience. And then the second part of the job is to then focus on the second audience, which is tradies. And I think we're doing pretty well in that regard. Like the numbers in terms of Total awareness, top of mind, spontaneous awareness, consideration, they're comparable on, on sort of both sides of the marketplace. So it's, it's going pretty well. I think moving forward, that's kind of the trick. We, we've got limited budgets, as, as Stu's mentioned. And so it's a constant process of challenging ourselves and sort of going, how do we continue building brand long-term, whether the market's in balance or not? We want to continue to invest in brand on both sides of the marketplace. And we've got some resources ring fence to top things up as, as needed. So, you know, if we're, you know, booming with jobs, if there's more jobs than we can sort of handle on the platform, then we'll take some of that ring fence performance budget and we'll put it towards tradie. And, and likewise, if, if we're, you know, really killing it from a tradie acquisition perspective, then we'll take some of that performance funds and we'll put it back into the homeowner side of the, the marketplace. And okay. the complexity is that even with limited budgets, it's got to be split in half between trying to continue to build against tradie and trying to build against homeowner. And there's l- limited overlap. Right. So yes, and we're not talking every tradie, we're talking about tradie business decision makers, of which there's about 260,000 in this country. So it's a pretty small audience. How do we reach them? We use targeted digital like YouTube, but we're also on Triple M at 5.30 in the morning while tradies are driving to work. Right. And that's not where you're going to also pick up the the homeowner. And the messages are different, Mm. right? So one is use high pages to build your business for a tradie. And on the homeowner side, it says, if you need a job done around the house, consider high pages. So we, we've got this constant challenge of splitting, you know, it's like the loaves and the fishes. We've got, we got a limited budget. Mm. We're trying to spread it out amongst the masses as closely as we can to keep the marketplace so, And which one are you, the messiah then? Is it? No, no, no you're I'm, the messiah, Paul. Oh, oh, thank you. Right, we'll just go with that. No, no more questions. <laughs> um, so it gets to, I'm going to drill you a little bit more, Nick, though. So in terms of, okay, you're considering your uh, your block partnership and what you do there. But so in, in terms of building brand on the consumer side, mm-hmm. what are the channels that are you sense or you think are going to deliver that now? What does that look like? And what sort of activity are we talking about? And I don't need your whole strategy, just, you know, the sense. Yeah, yeah. A few of the, I guess a few of the, the big themes. TV works. 
Absolutely. TV TV works for us. We, we like TV. That's a bit weird for again for a tech company guy to, to, <laughs> yeah, yeah, to say, right. "Hey, we like TV," but it, it does a good job for us. It does a lot of heavy lifting. And by the way, well, as as a segue there, not concerned about the audience because we're seeing some pretty big audience slippage in linear, at least, right? What are your both of your takes on that? Is it just does it concern you yet? You're setting, you're setting me up for the next thing I was going to say, Paul. Perfect, oh, perfect segue. Right. Thank you very much. So we we are complementing the the slow decline in audiences with a lot of BVOD, a lot of digital video. Again, I think the the cat is well and truly out of the bag that you can build brand fairly effectively with with online video, with digital video. I think then TV is also very expensive. Mm. Uh, so we're looking to try and complement that with other ways to, to build brand. And I think realistically, PR is one of those things where we've been, we've been building that capacity slowly, slowly in-house, and that's going to continue to be a big focus, like having other people talk about our brand. I think we've, we've been getting better and better at having or, or securing wide-reaching national coverage for, for a lot of our PR stories on both sides of the marketplace. And then I think when you, you start to look at trying to drive acquisition and even brand, and again, this is like a, a little bit different to what a lot of people might think, Content from an SEO perspective is also kind of important from a brand perspective because we find that there's really two types of searches that, that come to our pages. They're in that early stage and they're like, what's the cost of replacing a bathroom? So they're starting to go through that research research process and we really want to be there to drive that, that sort of top of mind awareness and to be seen as the, the category experts in that instance. And then you've got what you'd probably call more a performance role for, for search and for organic, which is like plumbers in Marrickville, where they're, they're ready to hire a plumber like yeah. right now to come and do their toilet or right. whatever. So and, like, and look like at I mean, TV, exactly. I mean, TV might be considered to be, you know, in inverted commas, an old-fashioned channel, but think about our, our on our consumer side, our homeowner audience is essentially 35 plus. They're still there. And what works well for us is when we can demonstrate our product. So in the block, we do we have very good integration to show what it really comes to life. And then like this weekend or the, this Sunday, we're, we're appearing in Space Invaders, which is another home improvement type of show. And we're integrated in, in every episode. So the, the people that are renovating the homes are literally finding and sourcing tradies on during the program, uh, demonstrating the product. So again, it's really interesting to see it's not just media placement, spots and dots. Yeah, it's, it's bringing the product to life. Yeah, and do you think that audience? So you talked about not is the Space Invaders audience? Do you think will be different to the Block audience? Will it pull something? What's your rationale there? There'll be overlap. I think it's it's twofold, right? It's Saturday night, which typically the Block doesn't run on a, on a Saturday night. So the people oh. sitting at home watching TV on a Saturday night, probably like me, um, are a little bit different to the people watching TV on a Monday night. But I, again, it's a dual role. It's reaching new audiences that we don't think we're reaching, but also maintaining that brand salience with existing audiences. And that is the, the challenge for our, our marketplace. If you think about how someone hires a tradie, it could be six months between needing a tradie. And it's really important then for us to remain top of mind between mm. those, those hiring occasions because it's not like they're going to hire another tradie a week later and go, well, a week ago I used high pages. They're going to fall back into old habits. They'll, they'll fall back into Google searches or something like that. The longer between hiring a tradie, um, they'll fall back into the old habit. So that's why brand salience, whether it's reaching the same audience and just reminding them that, hey, we're here and this is what we're all about, is as important as extending our reach. Well, an indication of how interested I am in this conversation, I've just looked at the watch and gone, crikey, we've got to get cracking and get through a whole <laughs> bunch of stuff and wind this thing up in about 30 seconds. Not true. But so listen, I'll, I'll just pick the pace up because I want to pick your brains on a couple of the things before I let you go. Um, firstly, you know, there's a bit of concern out there. We, we've spent a bit of time or quite a bit of time on, on paid search, but price inflation in media and certainly in search is there's a view that as the, the economy may uh, dip off a bit, 
a lot of brands will pile, a lot of companies will pile back into lower lower funnel activities and maybe drive search up, for instance, because it's sort of like it's short term, you can get a short term hit. Um, what's your sense on price inflation for paid search and some of the other channels that um, may pick up because of uh, where the economy is going? Yeah, definitely paid search in particular is becoming more competitive over the past few months. Right. Uh, and and for us, that means that there's a lot of mum and pops businesses out there that are probably hurting a bit, so they want to spend a bit more on SEM to, you know, get, get more work for their for their business. That's how really, on mass, that's our key competitor from a paid search perspective is small businesses trying to generate their own right. leads. Yes, right. So hundred percent, I, I think. What we're is it ten, fifteen percent up on some of your key search terms, or however you define it? What would you say? Yeah, between ten to fifteen percent would sound mm. would sound about right. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But I, I I do not to sort of flog a dead horse, but the power of having a strong brand actually insulates you from that a little bit because we're less reliant on paid search for customer mm. acquisition, and so those uh, the sort of inflation, media inflation, hurts us less. Because what you really want is your demand side, your consumer market going into search, high pages, not plumber. That's what exactly, you want. Exactly right. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. there's obviously a very different cost, cost to those yes. searches. So the, the more brand salience, the more customers are coming to you directly rather than us having to hijack another activity do that they appear, were doing. Yeah. And do you appear, your organic listings appear directly under your paid and what's, what's the consumer choice? Do they go paid, organic, or they don't care? Look, that's, I think that's something we've got to pull apart. I, I don't know. There's a there's a really important piece around paid and unpaid search interplay that will probably pick up next FY. Look, it's just not a, a priority for the rest mm. of this FY. But look, my, my gut says there's there's a, a certain type of person that'll search and they'll just click on the first thing that looks good. Yep. And then there's a, a different type of searcher who'll search and go, get these ads out of my face. What's the right. first organic result? Because we see really good volume from organic right. as well, right, even right. if we're advertising on, yeah, on, yeah, okay. on a similar keyword. Okay. Yeah. Okay, price inflation. We talked about the you know where you think your channel mix is going. Can we quickly, quickly unpack your tech stack? Now that's a seven-hour conversation, but can we have that in an elevator of just where where you've been with your tech stack and where you're going? And and literally, what are you using? What are the components inside? I'm interested in actually the the vendors that you've 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 pulled together. If you can list them through, so what, yeah, yeah, tech stack. Yeah, yeah, sure. Stu mentioned uh, Looker. That's really important for us, even though it's probably not something that people would traditionally think of as, as part of the Martech stack. And that um, serves which which that is the, the, the data, BI tool. It's the BI tool. Okay, so that's the it. way we can we can query the data and visualize got things it. and pull our everyone in the in the organization can pull their own their own insights out. I think then if we look at sort of more traditional pieces of the Martech stack, we use Braze for for engagement. So for those customers that we've already acquired, we use Braze, formerly AppBoy. The reason we like Braze is because it's built for basically specifically for apps. Um, more and more we're trying to get our users to adopt. Our, our apps, both on the homeowner side and the, and the tradie side. So, you know, Braze has been a really good tool for us. And the reason it's really good is it's built for apps. It is built around experimentation. So you can run multiple experiments and you get a really clear idea of what's what's the winner, which is not the case for a lot of marketing automation tools out there. But then also it'll give you incrementality of your campaign. So if I send, for example, a newsletter out to 500,000 homeowners tomorrow and last click attribution tells me that I got 1,000, 5,000 jobs or however many jobs off that, Braze will actually give me a bit of a sense check and go, okay, last click attribution in Google Analytics tells you 5,000. Here's the actual incremental number. Mm. And that's actually... What's the variance? Is it typically different? It's often quite different. Mm. Depends on the campaign, but it can be, you know, up to 80%. Wow. Yep. Right. So... Last, last click attribution is still something we, we use quite a lot in the business, but if you're not look, using it in the right way, it can be quite... Quite misleading. Quite misleading. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, that's... 
it's another three-hour conversation. But <laughs> it is. Yes. So braise, we've got to one. We've got two bits in your stacks. So there's probably braise, seven. Yeah, yeah. So look, as I mentioned right now, we're we're looking at what's the inbound marketing platform that we that mm-hmm. we stand up, like, and and that is actually for pre-sale engagement for now with tradies, but in future with with consumers. Why are we not using braise for that? It's just it just doesn't quite have the capabilities that we that we need. So we want to complement that with another piece of the tech stack. And for those of us less tech savvy, an inbound marketing pl- or an inbound platform means what? It'll essentially mean it gives us the opportunity to do a few things, to house some content, to build some landing pages, to grab a few a few little details from a customer. Maybe it's a phone number, maybe it's an email, maybe it's some preferences around what they're trying to do with their their business. If it's a, a trader that we're targeting. You're trying to get them to your website then? Trying to get them to our website, yep. but knowing that it's a long play. So it's like brand building, but without paid media. Like we're trying to build that brand through owned channels. We send them, you know, emails with white papers, with right. tools to help them grow their business, right? So that's that's inbound. It's trying to add value and build a relationship before the customer. Who's on that shortlist to... for you? What, what, who are you? Who are you considering for that? Because I think you said you were... Um, no, I'm not allowed to ask that. I can see the side <laughs> of my eye. What would be? No, I mean, so it's, can it's, you give me a long de- list of who sits in no, there? No, I mean it's it's delicate, and there's some vendors. We're we're live in conversations at the moment, so I don't think we can. We should. This is the time to embarrass them. <laughs> no, 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 no. We, we need to be respectful. Okay, to so the no, process. I understand that. So oh. I'll ask you that after well, next time. But I'll, yep. I still want to know, like, what is it? What is an inbound marketing platform software vendor? Who are they? I don't even like. Is it? But let's leave you alone on that. I feel like there's some, I'm going to get in trouble and I don't want to <laughs> yeah, do that. So yeah. there's, there's, there's your inbound. You're considering that. Shortlist noted. Um, next, what else is in your, in your tech stack? Look, I, I think Hypages has also been a house of brands and, and we've, had, we've, we've sort of come from a place where we've had a number of different brands and I think there's a bit of a consolidation that needs to happen. So like right now, we'll probably be looking at whether or not we bring everything onto a single CRM instead of having separate instances of, of Salesforce. Don't know where that's going to mm-hmm. play out. And then I think longer term, pretty much a lot of everything else is up for grabs. And given our vision for the future or specifically, you know, the, the C-suite's vision for the future, we've got some work to do to do the groundwork to understand exactly what we need in terms of the functionality and, and what we want to what we want to be able to do in three years' time and then build the MarTech plan off the back of that. So, look, I think right now we're very happy with Braze. We will be doubling down on, a, on an inbound platform pretty soon. But whoever, then, whatever that is. Whoever, whoever and whatever that, right. that is. You realise um, now we're going to get in mm-hmm. LinkedIn messages from every MarTech yes. provider <laughs> in Australia. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. get ready for that, Nick. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we do have an audience. Sorry about that. Everything else is sort of being, I think it's in the process of being reconsidered. Got it. Okay, yeah. so my final two questions is is the economic conditions. You touched on it earlier, Stu, that you know, you've seen some rise in the tradies because maybe the early ones are starting to see a little bit of the pipe slowing. What's your sense on this year and what's happening to, you're a great signal. I mean, gee, half your audience, like one side of your platform is a, you know, is a true signal of what's going on because they're mortgage owners, well, house, households. Mm, mm. What's your sense? Well, what are your you know, signals, it's, it's, I should say? it's looking like we're going to see multiple rate increases, which means that belt tightening we spoke about from homeowners will continue. But I also think that it will create pricing pressure on the trading side. So maybe in the past, one of our users might have had one or two connections with a tradie. I think they're going to get three or more. I think traders are going to have to work harder for the work so to win the work so that they may be just prepared to do a better deal. So I think that will swing in the mm. favor of the homeowners. And there's work that always needs to be done. A pipe breaks, a tree falls right. down, a fence needs repair. So why wouldn't they turn to High Pages, which is an industry leader, to find connections with tradies that are ready to talk. Yeah, that sounds quite reasonable. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, I, th- I think it'll tighten and I think the demand on the trading side will will continue. So I think the marketplace is going to be in an interesting state of balance this fin year, this calendar year. Well, I'm going to be on oh, – it's good for me because I've got stuff to do and now I'm going to be watching. So thanks for the heads up on that. Final question is um, – and we sort of – we got to it accidentally earlier – around capabilities in your teams. And I'd just like to finish off with that one because it's a really important one. Firstly, has the talent, are you seeing a, you know, the talent wars subsiding a bit, that demand, that movement that happens that we've seen the last couple of years, what's happened to talent wars and capability? What are you looking for? I'll let Nick speak to the specifics on the marketing capability, but obviously a year or so ago, even to six months ago, the market was hot. That doesn't matter whether it was marketing roles, developers, engineers, product managers, accountants, you name it, it was running hot. It seems to have settled down a little now, but I think we're going to see that wage inflation continuing. Right. Because we've seen certain categories that it just has been unbelievable increases in, in the remuneration. Generically, for a business like ours, as we said before, we need candidates, no matter what role they're in, to be super comfortable with data. They need to be very comfortable to take accountability and make decisions on the fly they need to be really, really comfortable in a test and learn and a fluid environment, which is really the message that Nick and I have been giving this whole podcast, which is about being able to adjust to the marketplace. Mm. Now, more specifically in in marketing, you know, where, where are we going to be looking, Nick? Uh, look, we, we spoke about content, content and, and inbound. Like that's definitely going to be a big focus. I think PR will continue to be a big focus for us. Again, it's we're in a pretty strong place there. Um, we've had a, a quite a strong person at the helm running uh, PR for a, a while for us now. Uh, we'll continue to double down on that. I think um, increasingly we will be looking for efficiencies out of our growth teams, uh, and that'll continue to be a focus. You know, we mentioned even just from from CRO, we've sort of driven a twenty percent efficiency through our growth team previously. So I think that's going to be something where they will be a team that we mobilize within the business to continue to try and drive efficiencies where mm. we need them need them the most. And that's sort of a bit of a passion point for me. That's probably the, the part of the job that I like the most because right. it is literally just cross-functional problem solving. Give yeah, them a yeah, problem right. and, yeah. and then and give them the problem, give them a clear remit and give them permission to go and touch the product or touch the marketing or touch the sales process. So that'll be a continued focus. As Stu said, look, I, I think the, the comfort with data is going to be critical for us. For a CCO... The hardest job you've you've had to fill, the hardest types of jobs you've had to fill uh, in the last couple of years, and for a VP of marketing, yours and are they the same or different? Because you got to, you know, obviously yours are broader sweep, Stu. Within my remit, which spans marketing, sales, service, and partnerships, the the roles that we've been really struggling to fill and and the market's been tight is in our sales team. Right. You know, we run a lean team based in Sydney here that are on the phones talking, acquiring, nurturing saving, building relationships with tradies. And um, it, it's hard to find good salespeople. And when we do find the good ones, they're amazing. Right. Nick, hardest job to fill for you in, in your remit? Mm. At the moment, senior performance marketing manager. Yeah, right. which is ironic when you think right. about it. But it's because we don't just want anyone. Yep. We want someone amazing who can work in that dynamic environment right yep. on both sides, both sides of the marketplace. Yep. We're in the market for that role right now. Right, and I just realized that's out why, there? Yeah, I was going to say, that's why you're here, actually. This is an employment acquisition strategy, isn't it, to come on MI3's podcast? Well, very clear of you. Yes, exactly. Stu Tucker, Nick Ellery, great conversation. I could keep going because there's so many things to, so many rabbit holes to go down, uh, but we have to call it quits. So I look forward to a follow-up But um, and let's see what the year brings. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer, Nick Slater. 
Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.